Hello, everybody. Adam Parks here with another episode of Receivables Roundtable. Today, I'm here with my friend David Williams, who is the CEO of Williams and Fudge and is also the current president of ACA International. How are you doing today, David? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Adam. I'm excited to uh, excited to be with you. It's uh, it's uh, done a lot of good ones of these, and I'm uh, I'm honored to be a part of it. So thanks for having me. Well, I greatly appreciate you coming on um, as I've gotten the opportunity to get to know you a little bit. And as we were planning for this call, I mean, as soon as we got into a topic, it was just so exciting for us. So I look forward to learning from you today and kind of what's going on in the agency market. Um, but for everybody who is not as familiar with you or has had the opportunity like me to meet you in person, can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and how you got to the seat that you're in today? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm a I'm a second generation uh, collector, like so many uh, like so many people here, um, or like so many people in our industry are. And um, so I grew up in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and that's where that's where our company is. My dad and his partner started Williams and Fudge in 1986. So I was 11 years old at the time, and so I got to do a little bit of uh, of the family business stuff at that time. I learned how to hang shelves and and uh, you know stopped at the gas station. I mean, stopped at the rest areas to get telephone books for skip tracing and all that fun stuff that happened back in the eighties. But, um, I went off uh, to school at Presbyterian college, which is a small school in South Carolina. And I, um, and, and once I did, when I did that, I wanted to do something on my own. I, and frankly, when I graduated from college, I, you know, I didn't want to come work in the family business and my dad wouldn't hire me at that time either. So, uh, so it went out well for both of us. Um, so mm. I went and did, uh, I went and worked for a recruiting firm for a couple of years. Um, mm. and then rode that into um, a manufacturing facility down in Anderson, South Carolina and did some, uh, recruiting for them down there. And then after about four years, there was a sales position available at Williamson Fudge. So I came and interviewed for it and, uh, and I, I did collect a couple of summers in college, which is something I'll never forget. And, and as you make decisions on things that happen at a collection agency, having that experience and understanding what the collector goes through and uh, gets to gets to have fun with is invaluable. So, uh, but I started in sales, and so Williamson Fudge we specialize historically in institutional receivables and student loans. So. Um, I was traveling around to the colleges, universities and trying to sell them on using our services, obviously. And that was a lot of fun. I mean, that that kind of went from 2000 to towards 2008, 2009. And we were growing a lot during that time. So it was fun to be a part of the sales process, getting to know our clients really, you know, really well and prospecting. I mean, at the end of the day, no matter what we do, my perspective is we're all on sales. And so, you know, whether you're selling you know, hey, listen to my podcast, or you're selling, hey, use my collection agency, or hey, use me to buy your debt, or whatever it is within the industry, you know, we're all in sales. So sure. I enjoyed that part. And then I moved back internal in about 2009. Mm-hmm. And I was doing finance, HR, um, you know, cleaning toilets, whatever needed to be done at that time. And uh, like a lot of us have. And mm-hmm. so then my dad retired in 2014. Um, and I, I became president. Then. And then we had a, uh, a CEO, that was between the two of us, uh, by parents. So he was, he was working here then for a while. And, and eventually, um, you know, he, uh, he moved into a more strategic role within, um, Washington and some of that stuff. And so, so then I was, uh, I was kind of doing my best to run the company and, and, and I'll always say, you know, I think we all know, like having the right people around you is a, is a really important thing. And, and I do, and I'm blessed and, 
you know, one of the best things, and one of my things my dad taught was like hire people smarter than you are, and uh, that makes you pretty smart if you do that. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that's what I try to do, and uh, and and so that brings us to this point. Um, that was a you know that was a short amount of time to tell about twenty five years of uh, of what's gone on. But, uh, <laughs> but, I appreciate the condensed version of yeah. the story, and I think it's it's very interesting. I'd like to have you participate in some of the generational collection type. Um, content that we've been creating. I did a webinar recently on the topic. And I think that there's a lot of families that have built great businesses. And this seems to be the, an industry that leads itself towards, you know, these family type opportunities. So, um, you know, but tell us a little bit more about Williams and Fudge. I know that you guys are concentrated on student loans. You were at one point, but give us kind of a, the quick pitch here. Tell us a little bit about Williams and Fudge and what it is that you guys do there. Yeah, so we uh, we collect defaulted uh, loans. We do some first party work, mostly third party work directly for colleges and universities. So, okay. simple way to put it, um, for the University of Florida, they have outstanding receivables. They send it to us. We typically um, work on a contingency basis. So, you know, if we collect a hundred dollars, then we get twenty and they get eighty or whatever the whatever the fee is. So. Um, we work with about 1,500 colleges and universities across the country, um, all 50 states. So we've been real successful in that area. Um, we, we treat our clients as partners and the sales portion of Williams and Fudge and client services portion is really important to us. Um, our leadership team mostly has a sales background. So, you know, I like to say, hey, we're going to take care of our customers. Um, we're going to collect with the best, you know, we, we, we do, but where we differentiate ourselves with our customer service and our sales approach and, and our partnering and educating our clients and some of that. So um, that's historically what Williamson Fudge has been. Um, we, we actually, you know, like everybody else, when we went through COVID and all of a sudden, you know, higher ed was like, oh, you can't collect higher ed anymore. And we're going to forgive student loans and all of this. We were like, whoa, you know, we, <laughs> and we said we felt diversified, right? 1,500 clients, none of them were more than like 3% of revenue at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we always felt like we were diversified. But then all of a sudden it was like, wait, we are diversified by number of clients, but not by industry type. So yeah, we started selling a little bit in other verticals, uh, credit unions, um, some some banks, some things like that, and also purchasing some debt in the space that we know. Um, wow. So that helped and, and, and that worked for a little while. But one thing we found is, you know, if we wanted to really diversify, we needed to take some more steps. So, so we started looking um, probably 2002, 2001 um, for some acquisitions and, and looked at a bunch of different companies because we kind of saw the writing on the wall and what's happening in the industry, obviously. And so um, this past July, we closed on RGS Financial um, Company down in Richardson, Texas. So we were able to acquire them. And it was a great opportunity for for us because the owners I've known for a long time. You know, yeah. um, benchmark groups are a big thing in this industry. You hear about a lot of people getting together and talking about the um, talking about the things that are specific to our industry and all the fun that we get to have and all the different things that we get to do. So um, I met Mike Riles and also his wife, uh, Kathy. It's probably been 12 years ago, 13 years ago. So um, we knew we had a good culture, uh, a, a, a good culture fit between the two companies. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we started talking and, and, and worked out a deal to where to where we acquired them. And now we're partnering with them and a lot of the, the people down there and they're, they are in the financial services area. So mm-hmm. um, it was a little bit 
the, the company was a little bit bigger. They have about, uh, around 60 employees um, or so. So it was a little bit bigger probably than what we thought would be our first acquisition, but um, yeah. it's worked out great. And, and so here we are. That's a well, that leads us to some really interesting topics, questions, conversations, right? So, from an MA standpoint, I, I mean, it's definitely something that is a hot button across the industry. I think a lot of organizations are going through it. Now, I've been hearing about it for a number of different reasons, too, right? Like, there's different reasons that I think the MA environment in our industry is, is getting pretty hot. And I think part of that is uh, ultimately acquiring organizations that allow you to move into new product types, right? So it might be for product diversity. It might be for client diversity, it might be for access, or it might be operational efficiencies, right? Like a tech stack or um, a, a specific tie together that just really makes a good fit. In your case, it sounds like you had a multifaceted MA that you undertook. One was that you had a new area that you were able to move into a new product, right? But you also had a good culture fit. And that is one of those key kind of um, difficult to measure type of items as you're trying to bring these things together. So as you kind of went through it, like what was your core motivation towards moving into the M&A space, right? It, looking at doing that type of an acquisition. I think probably sustainability, long-term sustainability. Um, you know, okay. I, I, we as Williamson Fudge with the regulatory, with all of the states, with all of the different things that um, that we have to do, the expenses, the technology, you know, it takes a it takes a certain amount of money to operate a fudge agency right now. I mean, yeah. you have a lot of expenses that are there. But once you get all that done and once you understand the CFPB and the other regulators that are out there, we feel like the scalability is able to happen. And that's what we've tried to build, you know, our technology as well to be able to plug in. And, and that's when, when you say plug in, it's like you think, oh, well, we'll just plug it right in. It'll be fine. Well, that's not <laughs> yeah. But the ability is there. Right. So mm -hmm. um, so I think that's for us was sustainability. You know, and another thing, too, that, that that's interesting that we haven't thought about before. But when you acquire someone, if they have the right type of employees, then these employees are going to come, you know, come, come with you. So um, mm. that's a, and in a world where hiring and finding people mm. is not as easy as it once was, that's also a thing for that. So, um, so yeah. It's going to give I mean, you opportunities to new markets, right? So like yeah. when you're hiring, you're not just hiring in South Carolina, you're now able to hire in other locations as well. hundred percent. Yeah. So that was our, that was our main motivator, but you're right. I mean, the, the things you mentioned before, is spot on. And, and that's what we need to be looking at, you know, as an industry, because you have to, at some point, I mean, there's a few exceptions, but at some point, I think going, hey, we either need to grow or we need to be looking at an exit strategy. I, mm -hmm. I think that's where we are. I think that's pretty reasonable. So what, you know, how, what is your prediction over the coming, let's call it 24 months, right? And I know that we're right at the crest of the wave, right? Over the past couple of weeks, we've been seeing information coming out that like auto deficiency uh, is at an all time high, right? So we're looking at kind of the crest of the wave. There's a lot of indicators that are, are starting to um, lead us to believe that the wave is here, you know? So from your perspective, like what's your prediction over the next 24 months in terms of the M&A market across really receivables management? Yeah, I think the, um, I, I, I think it's going to continue to increase. I mean, one of the things that we talk about 
within it, within ACA is, you know, obviously looking at what we need to do for our members and how we best serve our members. Um, and when we talk about that, there is a push towards um, being able to not only reach out to owners and, and high level leaders within organizations, but also reach out to people within the organization that are in compliance, that are in finance, that are in these other areas, because we do see that consolidation continuing to happen. And those people are going to need the support from the association, just like historically, you know, attorneys have and, and, um, and, and executive leadership has and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I think that it's going to pick up steam, you know, and I think for there's so many medical agencies out there that have historically been um, mom and pop shops, for lack of a better term, you know, that mm -hmm. have kind of worked with the doctors or, or work with the local people. And unfortunately, it's getting harder and harder for those people to uh, to make it. So, you know, I think they're going to be looking at ways out. And, and one of the things that's interesting to me, you know, being a family business, one of the things that's important to people a lot of time is they want to they want to feel like their baby or their family business, whatever, you know, kind of one and the same is going to be taken care of. So, mm -hmm. you know, trying to continue to drive culture and do things the right way, I think is going to be important for, for all of us. I, I think that's an insightful um, way to look at it. And, you know, I, I know that you have a, a deep understanding of how some of these local organizations are working, how some of those things roll up to larger organizations. And ultimately I, I agree wholeheartedly when it comes to their desire to keep that business going, right? Like they've made a commitment to their employees and they don't want to see, they're not looking to sell for you to strip the book, right? Take the clients and shut everything down. They're looking for someone who's going to kind of take up where they left off. And it may be running multiple brands at some point, or even just winding down old, business, you know, in the support of a larger organization. Um, I, but I think you make some really interesting points. Now, as, as we talk about the, um, the change or the wave that we expect to be coming here, right? There's always this balance of volume of accounts and the collectability of accounts. And I think that's going to be something that shifts fairly exponentially. And so I know we've been in the business, I think, for roughly the same, you know, time block. But as we go back and we think about 2008, there was tons of accounts, but it was very difficult to collect. And then come COVID times, and you find that there's a very low volume of accounts, and they're very liquid. So now as we're going back into what we're expecting to be that inverse relationship, right, with lots of accounts and low collectability, how do you think that'll have an effect on that M&A market? I think it's going to, I mean, I think it's going to create even more, you know, because I think people, you know, either you understand how to work that volume or you don't. And, you know, I think you and I are on the same page and, and a lot of people are too, of, you know, if you continue to work accounts the way you were working them during COVID or I say during COVID, which is probably not the right term, but during a time where liquidity is high. Mm -hmm. then your expenses are going to outpace your revenue very, very quickly. And so, um, you know, you have to be, first, you got to be willing to work the accounts differently, and, but you also got to be able to work the accounts differently. And how much is, how much has that changed since 2008, right? I mean, mm -hmm. in 2008, that basically meant you needed to score your accounts and put the right accounts on the dollar mm -hmm. pretty much, you know, but now mm -hmm. that's, 
where we are now is talking about, can you drive accounts towards self-service mm -hmm. so that your expenses per account are a lot lower? And can you put the technology in place to do that and, and, and make it a frictionless experience for the consumer? And if you can do that, keep your costs down on the front end, then, and now, in addition to the traditional scoring model, what do we have? Machine learning, right? Mm -hmm. So that, and you know, that is scoring to an extent, but that's going to change a lot here in the next few years. And the ability to find out how people want to be contacted, where and when, and how they want to pay is something that we're going to be able to do. So all of that's going to be important piece, I think. I feel like it used to be driven based on good or bad, right? This account is good. I'm going to do my thing with it, or this account is bad. I'm going to push it off to the side, but now the world is very different. So now what we have is five different communication channels that we may be right for the right person at the right time. So you don't have good and bad. You have kind of this multifaceted multi-option right? Yeah. Um, to where it's kind of almost like good and bad for each one of those. And then prioritizing which one is the best for that particular account, which is just amplifying the criteria for the decision exponentially, right? So we used to make this decision based on like four or five criteria, whether it be a score or whatever. And now you're like, okay, I need to look at, I need to cross reference between the scores that I had been using, the scores for individual channels, my understanding of those channels, the preferences and permissions that I've recorded from that consumer. It feels like now there's a giant metrics of things that can drive decision making. Are you finding it to, is that, is it making it more complex or is it actually making it easier? That's an interesting question. Um, I, I think, first off, I think you're spot on. I mean, I think that was very well said. Um, I think if you have the right people, it could potentially be easier. You know, I mean, there's, there's a lot more data out there, um, mm -hmm. you know, and there's value in data, obviously, but, um, there's a lot more data out there that can be utilized if you can gather, if you can gather it the right way first and mm -hmm. then execute what you've gathered. You know, I mean, it's, so, it's sort of like people talk about prob problem solving being such a big deal, but first you got to identify a problem, right? So you have to, you have to have people that can identify problems before they can be solved. And a little bit like that, like you have to be able to get the data first and then you have to be able to utilize the data to to communicate with the consumer they want to be the way they want to be communicated with. I just the communication models, is, you know, we talk about the um, millennial generation or the one younger than that, and all of these wanting only to not to talk to anybody. Well, really, that's not the case. It's really pretty much everybody that want to talk to anybody. Yeah, now, true. <laughs> really, if you get a if you get a call from a a, a number that you don't know, like. I'm prone not to answer that, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and um, part of that is probably what my job is, but um, but I'm prone not to answer it. And, uh, and I think there's a lot of people that way. So part of it is just being busy, right? Like there's yeah, a lot of yeah, times yeah. Where I'm not going to touch these phone calls because it like there's the volume versus the time and right. there's a balance. Right, right. That's exactly right. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, I know, I mean, you haven't talked to a lot of different people. I mean, we're. Where do you see where do you see this going as far as the the, the M and A market? So I I think that the M and A market remains hot. I think that more organizations coming together because I think some 
I think those organizations that have not already put digital into their strategies that are not already going down that path have a higher likelihood of being acquired by somebody who did. Right. And so I, I feel like there was a time in this industry where you waited to see where the herd went and then you followed the herd. Right. But I don't think you can really do it that way anymore because now things are moving so fast that the herd of gazelles is already, you know, six miles down the road before you're even starting to run and the pace of technology is just moving so quickly that I think that we will see more of that M&A. I think it's also going to be driven somewhat by um, regulation through enforcement. And what I mean by that is right now they're going after the medical debt, but once they're done with the medical debt, I mean, are they, they're just going to stop and they're going to be like, Hey, we've like mission accomplished, or are they going to come after student loans? Then they're going to come after auto. Then they're going to come after credit card. Right? Like, I feel like it's an ongoing process of the government's attention being on one particular thing at a time. And I think that that starts to become a little bit scary, partially because it creates some difficulties in our ability to lend, right? Credit scores and and these manipulations of what are supposed to be risk-based models are not really measuring the same risk that they were intended, or at least not if the CFPB has their way. So I do think you'll see more consolidation because it's going to take money to fight those battles. I agree. But just for clarification, student loans, we already had our return, so we're good. <laughs> I don't know, man. I saw on Instagram earlier today about student loan forgiveness all over again, right? Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm saying that you you definitely have had your, your moment in the sun, but I don't see it as ever being over. I think this is going to be a continued attack because at some point they're going to say, hey, oh, well, you know, it, look how well it's working when we're not reporting medical debt. You shouldn't be able to report this. You shouldn't be able to report that. You shouldn't be able to report the next thing, which again is just degrading the value of these risk-based models. But yeah. Absolutely right. Lending is a risk versus reward probability. Why would I lend money that I can never collect? The only thing that you can do is raise interest rates to offset your risk. And now everybody pays the fee. And I think we're already feeling the crunch inflation and other things that come from that economic factor. I agree with you. And I also, uh, one of the things that I've, I've thought about a lot lately is when you talk about consumers and you talk about protecting consumers if we're only protecting consumers that aren't paying their bills, then is that protecting consumers as a whole? And with what no. you just said, I feel like it's absolutely not. And I feel like the crunch that come, that we are seeing that is coming down is going to impact the people that need it the credit the most. You know, a little mm-hmm. bit like a little bit like access to healthcare. You know, if you create a situation where you have to pay up front. You and I are blessed enough to be able to do that, right? But other people aren't. And, mm-hmm. and so then doctors, like my own doctor, is talking about moving into a concierge model where he's going to have a certain number of patients that pay a certain amount a month, and that's who he's going to take care of. You know, it's almost like a subscription doctor model. Um, so, you know, the... the but they're getting back in a corner. Right. And and we know what America does um, and, and, and what the business world does is adapt. You know, and the way they adapt is might not be the way some people are looking for us to adapt. Well, that that is the fear, right? The rise in interest rates. And I mean, it's it's already something that's happening now. If if I've got an 800 plus credit score and I go get a mortgage, I'm now paying a fee on top of my mortgage to subsidize those with a 610 credit score. And I understand the um, 
objective that they're trying to achieve. I don't believe in the way in which they're trying to achieve it. Um, but then it takes guys like you and I who are going to go, why take a personal mortgage? That should be through a trust or an LLC, right? So like those that are capable will still continue to find those other methods, right. um, which I, I, I think is just kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Hopefully what we'll see is some sort of a balance to how this is um, all going down and, and regulation by enforcement could be retracted to some level. Um, even I was reading today that Congress was, um, you know, putting a resolution before the House to stop one of the CFPB's more recent rules, and that we already have a president claiming that he's going to veto any action that might happen in that regard. Um, and I'm hoping that this doesn't all go down between now and the time that this video gets published. But I, I do see, you know, some of these things starting to um, to unfold. And, and I think it creates a curious question about what happens in the election next year. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, that the results of that election will have a direct effect on what happens in this industry for the coming decade, um, as I think each presidential change or, or continuation does. Um, so I, I think it'll be interesting to see how this all starts to unfold, but I do believe the M&A market will remain hot. I believe there's a lot of organizations that are currently out there looking to buy licensed organizations. I think the amount of time that it takes to become a fully nationally licensed collection agency and the process that you have to go through has become a major barrier to entry. And so I think acquisitions of organizations that have those licenses, that's another driving factor in which you'll see some of these organizations get acquired. Very good point. Very good point. Because it's, I mean, it, there's the, the barriers are high, you know, first you got to know, mm -hmm. then you got to pay, then you got to have all the, you know, all the different, um, the different intricate details from state to state. And then, and then you start talking about, you know, cybersecurity and then and, and the mm -hmm. um, insurance and the boxes you have to check for, you know, the SOC auditor, the PCI auditor, all of these different things that just, uh, it's, you know, it's never ending. It really is. And so that barrier industry is high. And it's also the reason, you know, kind of what I said before is, you know, the people that have that, when you talk about scaling, it's still difficult, but you can do it because you've got those building blocks, you know, in place. Well, David, I think you bring up a lot of good points. I'm hoping I can get you to come back on here again in the near future and continue chatting with me because this was a lot of fun and I feel like I learn a little bit from every interaction that I have with you. Um, for those of you that are watching, if you have additional questions you'd like to ask David and myself, you can leave those in the comments below on LinkedIn and YouTube and we'll be responding to those. If you have additional topics you'd like to see us discuss, you can leave those in the comments below as well and hopefully I'll be able to get David to come back at least one more time to help me continue creating great content for a great industry. But David, thank you so much for coming on today. I appreciate all your insights and knowledge. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And I'm, you sign me up. I'll, I'll be here again for sure. Awesome. Well, looking forward to it. We'll get you on the calendar for 2024. And until next time, everybody, thank you so much for watching. We'll talk to you all again soon.